buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from the very positive, very imaginative Desperate Visions Productions, a Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group headed by yours truly. And I guess it is a group, even though it's mostly just me, especially lately. But I am here today, of course, to introduce you to the Franco Observer Podcast. And these are the about final 20 episodes of the show. We are getting close to the end of the run for the uh, Jess Franco film catalog here. So I hope you all hang out until the end of this show and uh, continue on to the end of the voyage because we're almost at our destination. So um, let's see. Before I get ahead with the films of uh, Just Franco and today's topic, I'm going to go ahead and do some quick plugs here. Um, at the time of this recording, I have just released my fifth Blu-ray release, which is the, just hot off the press here, the uh, Late Night Nudie Cutie Cinema Double Feature, which entails uh, two films, two Nudie Cutie films. Uh, nudie Cutie movies were like a 60s uh, staple uh, subgenre of film that became, or that were before uh, porn films. Well, I mean, stag films, all that stuff's been around forever, but since uh, pornography became big in the 70s, before that it was nudie cutie films, and they're like basically um, nude women undressing and uh, getting into comical situations um, without, you know, intercourse or any of that stuff. Um, and they're before the roughies and before those type of films. Um, and these two nudie cutie movies on this release are The Desires of Dawn from 2014 and Mondo Visions from 2016, uh, both previously unreleased. Um, Desires of Dawn had a brief run on DVD, but not really wide. Uh, Mondo Visions had um, some showings in, in uh, theaters here in Sacramento and different clubs and places but never released uh properly so uh for most of you which i would say is 99 percent of you out there listening these are all uh first time releases so hopefully you will check them out and purchase them uh they're they're all uh, 1080p high definition widescreen avc encoded pcm stereo and both films i recorded uh audio commentaries and they have trailers for each film so it's two films on one disc and uh of course we also have lady hyde on blu-ray which has audio commentary theatrical trailer and a behind the scenes photo gallery and that's also 1920 1080p full hd resolution abc encoded all that good stuff and we also have emmanuel in sin city which is the uncensored version too hot for streaming um i think the love making scene between uh, the the Safric scene that uh, I think was a little too, um, let's say, uh, not graphic, but a little too lingering or whatever, however you might want to call it. But um, I noticed when I tried to upload it on YouTube for a, a uh, screener review for a reviewer that it flagged it as 18 plus. So that might be the reason why it's... Uh, was rejected by Amazon Prime and by Tubi because it was a little too, shall we say, skin-friendly. So, uh, yeah, so it was a little too uh, strong. So I have it as a film that was too deemed, too erotic and extreme for major streaming channels, totally uncut and censored, only available on disc. And we have with that the course uh, audio commentary, trailer reel, and uh, behind-the-scenes galleries. And finally, rounding out the bunch, we have uh, the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 1, and which is titled Dirty Deeds and Desperate Visions, and the short films of Jason Rudy, Volume 2, Demon Dames and Desperate Visions. Um, and we have four short films on each release, along with uh, special features of the creative process, Interview, Volume 1, I'm sorry, Part 1 and Part 2, and each r disc runs... Uh, about 116 minutes and 117 minutes. So you have about two hours of content on those each. So yeah, we have those five releases totaling uh, eight, 10, 12 films. So yeah, we got 12 films out right now. So 
If you uh, ever want to support me, support the Franco Observer podcast or support Desperate Visions and want to pick up some uh, really cool uh, grindhouse, cult film, uh, bizarre, micro-budget, do-it-yourself cinema that I've been doing here for the last 17 years uh, and about 18 films, I would sincerely appreciate it. Um, If you're interested in buying any of the five titles, they're $20 each, but if you buy all five, I'll cut you a good deal, so save you at least 10 bucks or so or more um so yeah if you want to get a hold of those you can also uh contact me at the franco observer podcast instagram page you can send me a message there or the facebook page for jason rudy or franco observer podcast or you can send me an email at uh, desperate visions at yahoo.com or franco observer podcast at yahoo.com any of those are good um and uh, yeah, let me just go ahead and finish up these plugs so I can get those out of the way. Uh, we also have a donation button on the Red Circle page. Um, been doing this now for over two and a half years, and all c- completely free, all that good stuff. So giving you weekly content. So if you want to throw me a dime, throw me a dollar, whatever you want to throw me, uh, as long as it's not a rotten fish, um, you can either one-time payment or reoccurring. You can always do that at the Red Circle page at the Franco Observer Podcast. It's the main homepage. You'll see us there. Um, and uh, also, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, we have new episodes, of course, every Wednesday morning, 1 a.m. West Coast time. Drops every single day. That's one of my uh, deals is I always want to have the same day every week, every same time. So it's a, a guaranteed thing for you there. So repetition is nice when it's something you can count on. Uh, and you can subscribe to us, please uh, download um, the episodes. You can find us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and all of your favorite podcast platforms. We're on probably at least, I don't know, I always give a vague number, but it's probably from 12 to 20 different places at least. A lot of them I never heard of, but I should start writing these down before the, before the podcast is up. Um, also, too, Word of mouth is always really strong. Um, since my advertising budget is nil, I would always appreciate it to tell a friend. If you like this podcast, if you're a big Jess Franco fan, if you think this is interesting, or if you, more importantly, uh, want to support me, Desperate Visions, and have people buy my Blu-rays, um, of course, they're very, very independent. I don't have a company behind me like Vinegar Syndrome or or uh, Severin or Kino Lorber or any of those. It's just me operating out of my own home studios so i would definitely appreciate the help so yeah tell a friend about desperate visions productions and uh, pass the word on about these blu-ray releases and the franco observer podcast and like i mentioned before you can find us on instagram and facebook under the franco observer podcast all right so got that little business out of the way here so now let's get on to just franco as i record this uh Recording this on the May 13th, which is one day after Jess Franco's birthday. On a previous episode, I misidentified his birthday as May 11th. It's actually May 12th. My bad. So just want to do a little quick uh, correction from there. Um, so yeah, this episode now, we are on episode 142, film 156. And the last one we did was Angel of Death, which you heard was... Um, Written by Franco and kind of started by Franco, but quickly abandoned by him and Andrea Bianchi jumped in. So this is the first proper film from Jess Franco after Fallo Cresto. Um, so this is the film Dark Mission, which is film 156 by Jess Franco or Jesus Jess Franco Manera. Um, it's a Spain and France co-production in 1987. We are at now. The original theatrical title and country of... Before I go any further, uh, all information is taken from the book Flowers of Perversion, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 2 by Stephen Thrower. And Volume 2 is still in print. I know Volume 1 is hard to get. So, All right, back to the film. Dark Mission, original theatrical title and countries of origin. Dark Mission, uh, French title, Le Fleurs de Mal. Uh, the Spanish title is Dark Mission, Operation Cocaine. Uh, 
Um, Finnish video is called Dangerous Mission. Varalein Taava. Alternative title. Uh, Finnish English language video is Dark Mission Flowers of Evil. Uh, Greek title translates out to Appointment in Hell. That's interesting. Uh, let's see. Dark Mission. The other ones. Coca and CIA is the original 111 page script. And the title announced in Variety is Flowers of Evil. Unconfirmed title Narcotrafico, Portugal. Uh, production companies on this. Cidomac SA Films out of Spain and the mighty Eurochin out of Paris. Uh, theatrical distributor Vision Films. Now, not Desert Visions Productions, but Visions Films. Good title. Uh, timeline on this uh, shooting date is April to June. Well, I actually shot a little while on this. Usually his is like a one week deal, but yeah, April, May, June, so about two months. Uh, April to June of 1987. They got the Spanish classification date on December 22nd, 87. French visa issued April 13th of 88. It played Seville in July 15th of 1988 and Barcelona August 19th of 1988. Theatrical running time, Spain, 85 minutes. France, 92 minutes. Uh, Video running time converted is 87 minutes, 18 seconds. Um, the credits are the director, of course, Jess Franco, writers, Jess Franco as David Kuhn, K-H-U-N-N-E again, and Marius Lesur as A.L. Mario. Producer, Daniel Lesur, dialogue, George Freeland, director of photography, Roger Felus as Roy Felus, uh, focus puller, camera assistant, Enrique Lopez Quesada as Enrique L. Quesada. Camera operator, Francois Demont as F. Desmet. Assistant director, Ilona Kunisova. Uh, script supervisor, Carmen Carrion. Production manager, Juana Hernandez. Art director, Jacqueline Freeland. Sound engineer, J. L. Reboul. Editor, Lena Romay. All right. Yeah. Uh, she, I, mean, I think she edited it, even though she's credited. I don't know if it was her or Jess, but and she's billed as Rosa M. Almoral, director for, director of production, Marius Lasur, production manager, Antonio Mayans. Um, who else we want to give talking to here? Music, Luis Alborado, and I care about all the special optical effects, all that. But yeah, quite a bit. He has uh, a lot of credits in here. They got a sound recorder, a helicopter footage. They got a collaboration during the shooting, Sony. Um, lab, title and optical effects, titles from Spanish version, sound recorder. And was that? Okay, no. The credits also declare the film was produced by Taco, T-A-K-O, Taco Pezonaga. However, Ms. Pezonaga's role was essentially promotional. She was the director of promotion and image for the Spanish government and worked on theater and film promotion with her frequent associate, Juana Hernandez, here credited as promotion director, who was the wife of Spain's then minister of the presidency, Javier Moscoso. All right, cast on this film. Of course, the mighty, the legendary Christopher Lee as plays the role as Luis Morel, as Luis Montana, Chris Mitchum plays the role of Carpenter, a.k.a. Derek Timothy Bannon. Richard Harrison as Sparks, the CIA chief. Christina Hirgrosa as Linda Montana. Daniel Katz, nice, as Mr. Trinidad Barros, a drug dealer. Alicia Moro plays Elena Barros, Trinidad's wife. Antonio Mayans plays Dr. Meryl Ramos. The beautiful and legendary Brigitte Leahy plays Moriah Panella. Trino Traveras plays the minister. Henry Lambert plays Antonio, Montana's manservant. Of course, frequent Franco collaborator Jose Miguel Garcia Marfa as J.M. Marfa plays the hotel receptionist. And finally, Francois Desmond as Frank Desmond. Uh, I'll give a little synopsis here. I'll just read all this through. Synopsis of the film. As the instigation of his contemptuous boss, Sparks, Derek Carpenter, an investigator for the CIA, goes undercover in Lima as journalist Derek Timothy Bannon. 
His task is to track down and eliminate Luis Montana, a Cuban drug smuggler and arms dealer. An ex-Cuban revolutionary, Montana, is in the CIA sites not so much because he's a drug smuggler, but because he's an ex-associate of Che Guevara. His scalp would make public relations capital in America's war against communism. On the plane, Carpenter is seated next to Montana's daughter, Linda, who, unaware of her father's business, is visiting him purely for a holiday. The two become friends and swiftly lovers. Arriving in Lima, Carpenter makes contact with two drug-dealing rivals of Montana, Trinidad and Elena Berros. Uh, a husband and wife team who offer Carpenter a deal. They will shop Montana and undertake not to supply drugs to the USA if Carpenter can arrange a guarantee that the rest of the worldwide traffickers will go unpunished. Carpenter receives further instructions on the ground from Mariah, the wife of his recently deceased buddy and partner. Mariah blames Carpenter for her husband Frank's death, but softens when Carpenter reveals the truth. Frank had been tempted into corruption, and Carpenter took the blame for a resulting shootout to save his partner's reputation. After one of Montana's drug consignments is ambushed by Barrow's men, one of uh, Montana declares war on the rival traffickers, leading to the death of Helena Barrow's. Her husband swears to avenge her. Meanwhile, Derek takes Linda to a drug treatment center run by Dr. Mel Ramos and gives them a guided tour of the facility, showing them drug casualties ranging from the adult to the brain-damaged. Linda sees an old friend carried out dead from the faculty, and after Carpenter reveals why he's really in... Lena Lima, she realizes she must confront her beloved father about his heinous trade. All right, production notes. That's pretty convoluted. Uh, production notes. Dark Mission was filmed in English with direct sound recording during May and June 1987, according to a contemporary press interview with Christina Hagueras, who plays Christopher Lee's daughter in the film. A report in Variety dated May 6, 1987, however, announces that principal photography was already completed by that date, so shooting must have started in April. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. Jess Franco is back with helicopters. Christopher Lee, stock footage of the Cuban Revolution, a wedge of exposition conveyed by silly computer voice. Which is funny, the silly computer voice was also in the last film, Angel of Death, even though Franco didn't do that. Uh, a bank of TV screens intended to convey some kind of high-tech military nerve center, although it's probably the window display of an Alicante TV shop. Oh, and Chris Mitchum. There's always a catch. Dark Mission is a p properly budgeted production with stars, explosions, action scenes, and lots of goofy dialogue. It's an easy film to pass over when you're concentrating on the best of Franco's personal films, but this relatively straightforward action film is enormously enjoyable if you've watched a few too many of the director's mid-1980s misfires. Mitchum plays our hero, Derek Carpenter, a CIA man chosen for a particularly sensitive and important undercover mission in South America. You are violent and cynical, a drunk and a womanizer, a helpful chief of security tells him during his initial briefing. That's not information about his cover story, by the way. It's just his boss, action legend Richard Harrison, telling us, the audience, what we need to know. Carpenter, I don't like you, he adds. Well, I'm glad that's been cleared up. Dark Mission is nonsense, but it's fun nonsense, and a breath of fresh air after the impoverished porno films Franco had been making just prior to it. Christopher Lee is a welcome sight indeed, the biggest star to appear in Franco films since Klaus Kinski and Jack the Ripper 11 years earlier, and although he's not particularly well served by the script, he brings effortless gravitas to the role of drug overlord Luis Montana. It's perhaps a bit jarring to hear him spit lines like, I want to know where those sons of a bitches come from, at some helpless lackey, but the face, the voice, the looming presence, the solemnity, and politeness all add to the extra luster. His talent helps to blame, balance the scales in the face of ham-fisted and comical elements elsewhere in the proceedings. The production is brisk and the technical credits reasonably professional, but that doesn't stop an accumulation of goofs and misfires piling up on the hilarity. For instance, when corrupt Cuban mil militiamen intercept one of Montana's drug consignments, they push the courier's Land Rover off a cliff to make it seem like an accident. Unfortunately, the damn thing explodes while still dangling over the edge. You can imagine Franco just out of shot, hopping with fury. As for the plotting, it's so relative. Re I'm sorry. As for the plotting, it's so relentlessly contrived. You just have to laugh. The best moment occurs at a drugs rehab center, 
Montana's naive daughter Linda is on a guided tour when, quite by chance, a corpse is wheeled past on a stretcher. It's my best friend Maria, she exclaims in horror. Since we never met Maria and she hasn't been mentioned before, it's not it's as much of a shock for us as it is for Linda. A few minutes later, she declares her love for Carpenter, a man who she met just for the first time a few two days ago. So she's evidently, so she evidently operates on a faster time stream than the rest of us. Dark Mission's biggest handicap is Chris Mitchum, an actor who can't even walk convincingly. <laughs> he looks as though he's having to think about how to move his arms. We're supposed to wonder whether Carpenter really is the cynical love rat his boss described him as earlier or a decent man hiding behind a cynical pose but thanks to Mitchum's default facial expressions of bland insincerity the ambiguities are rather lost thank goodness the script gives him a few choice lines you have very cold lips they say that a woman's lips are a reflection of her soul he says to drug dealer Helena Barros one of the many howlers that make up for deficiencies everywhere along with zingers like you're either a very good girl who thinks she's a tramp or a tramp who thinks she's a very good girl. Wow. And do you work in a strip joint or are you here to marry the prime minister? <laughs> um, among the other cast members, it's good to see the excellent Daniel Katz make the transition from Franco's smaller budgeted films to the larger productions of the next two or three years. He's also in Esmeralda Bay and Downtown Heat, too. Katz is a fine actor, and it's a shame he seems to have disappeared from the industry after his final Franco credit in 1990. The aforementioned Richard Ninja Master Harrison shows off his aging physique in a gratuitous bathroom scene, while sinister French film regular Henri Lambert reappears in his second role for Franco. He played a soldier driven insane by the undead in Oasis of the Zombies. Among the female cast, the real standout is adult movie icon Brigitte Lahey, whose strong, sculptured features and elegant posture always lift a scene. She's the sort of woman who turns heads, and she can act a hell of a lot better than most of her films requires. She reminds me a lot of Marilyn Chambers, the American porn actress who gave us such a powerful and memorable performance in David Cronenberg's Rabbit, 1977. Evidently, she and Franco had patched up their relationship after a row that occurred during their shooting of Je Brûle de Parteau back in 1978. It's just a shame Leahy's role isn't more central, although she does provide the one truly emotional moment in the film during a standout scene in which she learns the bitter truth about her dead husband. There's none of the madness of Franco's finest work to be found here, but don't let that put you off. The charms of Dark Mission lie in the casting. If you enjoy watching C-list figures from Euro-exploitation duking it out with slumming celebrities from Blighty, Dark Mission is a treat. And for fans who witnessed just how cheap Franco's productions became in the 1980s, it's a pleasure to simply see him working again with a sizable budget. If the result is a little impersonal, it's not without its own daffy Eurotrash appeal, and ably sustains its 90-minute running time. All right, cast. Christina Higueras was a former TV host from the channel TVE, well known for the show De 7 in 7. Franco spotted her on television, and according to Higurosa, before the show ended its broadcast, I had been hired by the producer because I had the image Jesus was seeking for the character. On the subject of Christopher Lee, she said, He's an exceptional actor, and in the short time working at his side, I learned a lot more than with anyone else. I will never forget our joint performance in one of the scenes of the film. It's an emotional sequence in which he explains why he is in the world of drugs. In an article for the Spanish newspaper ABC, six months later, she expanded on the subject of Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee told me that the difference between a good actor and a non-actor is mainly in the eyes. He was my father in the movie, and we had some beautiful sequences. In one of them, a dramatic close-up, I remember that with his eyes he guided me wonderfully so that I could move and respond. The truth is that I got goosebumps many times. Interesting. Music. After a decade of the same Daniel White compositions over and over again, it's a pleasant change to hear music that's not immediately familiar. That said, there are some staggeringly inane cues here. On the other hand, a subtly shifting piece for sax and flute work wonders, and it's oddly enjoyable to hear some regulation horror synthesizer drones so common in low-budget exploitation films but rarely used by Jess Franco. All right, uh, locations. This was filmed in Alicante, Elche, Murcia, La Manga del Mar Menor, and Lopagan, with additional shooting in Madeira.
Connections. Dark Mission's overt moral thub-tumping about the wickedness of drugs sits uneasily in the libertarian career of Jess Franco, although the theme had been building up quietly in his work during the 1980s, and can be found to a degree in much earlier films like 1980, 1972's Sinner. Here, with although the focus is on organized crime and the convenience of corrupt South American governments, subtleties are steamrolled by a script that resorts to a full-blown lecture on the evils of substance abuse, subscribing to the gateway drug theory that paints every even cannabis as dangerous. Perhaps the moral dimension of the story helped to snare Christopher Lee's participation. Dark Mission was Christopher Lee's first work for Franco since Count Dracula in 1970, and the first time they worked together since his allegation that Franco had bumped up the sex quotient in Eugenie, the secret of her journey into perversion, quite literally behind his back. The actor's decision to let bygones be bygones, he followed Dark Mission with Fall the Eagles for Franco in 1990, may also have been guided by expediency. He was in a major career slump at the time, having appeared in some less-than-dignified projects. See the deliriously silly horror sequel Howling 2, Starba, Werewolf Bitch, by Philip Mora, 1985, and the ultra-lowbrow teen comedy Jocks, directed by Steve Carver, 1986. So, well, there's that uh, exposition there by Stephen Thrower about Dark Mission. All right, so... This film, Dark Mission, I am going to be watching as soon as I put down this microphone and wrap up this first half. Um, coming back to co-review this episode and talk with me about it is a longtime Franco Observer podcast reviewer and friend, Miss Collie, out of Los Angeles, California, home of the doors. And uh, she is... Uh, eager to watch this film and talk with me about it so please hang on past the break and you'll hear uh Collie and i talk about the dark mission buenas noches maha buenas noches all right we are back for the review portion of episode 142 film 156 Dark Mission, a.k.a. Flowers of Evil. And if there's one flower of evil that I know in the <laughs> Devil's Bouquet, her name is Miss Collie. How are you today, Collie? I'm great. Love your intro, as always. Thank you, thank you. They're always spontaneous. So, um, Well, um, this is a very different Jess Franco film compared to the last one we did, which is funny because this is the film we did right after uh, Fallow Crest. Yeah, it's a lot different. It felt like a like it's so weird to wrap your head around just Franco's uh, oeuvre. Yeah, very much night and day. And the one after this is Faceless, which I've already done in the past, and then Countdown to Esmeralda Bay. So he's definitely changing a lot of stuff on these next few compared to the last few. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We we will uh, talk more about it in a minute, but. Um, did you watch this this morning or le- or um, yesterday or last night for Jess Franco's birthday? Very cool, very cool. Yeah, happy and birthday, happy birthday, Jess. There you go, there you go. Carrying on the tradition from last year. Yeah, yeah, we did that last year too. Loves it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so before we go into this film, there are two, there are th- two or three connections to the last film. If you recognized. Um, the lady in the beginning in the computer lab is Carmen Carrion. She was the warden in Fallow Cresto. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, the lady in the beginning with the white lab coat and the glasses by the computers that they show the uh, Cuban footage on. And she did continuity in this film. Um, and then uh, Jose Marfa, the guy that had his uh, deliance with the dog, he plays the uh, hotel um, reception guy, you know. Guy that works the front yeah. desk. Yeah, yeah. So those were the nice. two that I saw carried over. And then Lena does the editing in this film, even though she's not in it, which is yeah, kind of Yeah, I saw that. That's, that's great. Yeah, it's actually, it's not edited bad. No, it's actually pretty quick. So uh, before we go into all the different stuff, um, did you like the film? 
Um, I didn't dislike it. It wasn't like one of my, you know, I'm not going to recommend it as a Jess Franco, like, you know, what you should watch if in your, you know, Jess Franco viewings. But, um, you know, it, it had its charms. If you're like a Franco fan, then you're going to enjoy it more because it's, it's got, you know, different. I mean, it, it's, it, it was exciting for me to see Bridget. That always makes me oh, yeah. really happy. Like she's a queen and. Um, you know, it, it had like a few things, I guess, you know, and Christopher Lee, of course, like that yeah, was- Christopher Lee's actually really good in this. I thought, yeah, I mean, he's good in everything, but yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. The, the, the whole Mexican mustache thing or <laughs> yeah. thing that was hilarious. Like it, he just, I don't know. Yeah. His, he was great. And so, yeah, it, it definitely has its charms. It's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. You had mentioned a few things that I had on my list. So let's, before we go into the all stuff, uh, Christopher Lee. So he's supposed to be Cuban in this, and, he, and but even though he speaks in a proper British accent all the way through, and his mustache in the beginning, you can see it's like a total paste-on little mustache, which is pretty funny. The mustache is is brilliant. Loves it. Cracked me up. It's like a big. It's a for the audience. It's a big fluffy, um, like dark, and he, you know, he's he's got gray hair at this point. So it's it's great that his his mustache is still raging hard well in the flashback footage when he's supposed to be younger it's black but then when he's older i mean it is kind of a grayish mustache from the thing i saw but i mean you could just tell that it was such a fake paste on gimmick you know yeah it was just thick and darker than his top of his hair totally and and just since it was thicker and uh, yeah it just looked it looked yeah silly so what's funny is like i didn't catch it in the beginning but then i kept seeing it toward the end because i had made a note like there's like a lot of flowers in this film like there's flowers all through the all through the hotel lobby and in his room there's always flowers and there's like and you see flowers a lot and it's funny this film's called dark mission flowers of evil and i was like oh that's kind of a nice little touch that you got a vc andrews book what's that i think that's a vc andrews book flowers of evil was flowers in the attic yeah flowers Flowers of evil yeah that's funny. I mean, there is a little weirdness with that, you know that that's a incest book, and then the, when she talks her dad into dancing, that was so awkward. And it, and it's funny because when I was a kid growing up, I didn't read that book at all. But like that was one of my grandma's favorite books was Flowers in the Attic, and she read all the Flowers in the Attic's book. And then when I learned about what it was, I was like, whoa! You know, it's like the evil lady that keeps the kids <laughs> up in the attic, and it kind of tripped me out. It's funny as I got older. Yeah, who end up boning? Yeah, that was one of my favorites as a kid. I was so kinky. That's funny. Internet now. Okay, so um, this film it starts off pretty funny with this bad computer voice of like kind of t- uh, describing the uh, Cuban Revolution and some of the Sepatone footage. There is a voice of a man talking like this when they're watching <laughs> the computer, which is funny because the last film I watched, Dark, or I mean, um, um, Angel of Death, which was a film that Franco kind of started and then quickly abandoned, and it's about uh, Joseph Mengele, and um, Andrea Bianchi took it over. And there's a scene in there with that computer that's talking like this. So it's kind of funny. It's like these two films back-to-back had that effect of the fake computer voice, kind of like a War Games type thing or something. Yeah. There was that movie that we watched where, like, the the like a little robot like thing would come. Oh, the it was the honeymoon thing The when Lena and the guy ran off to – like the jungle and there was that weird robot that Oh yeah, of- that was uh was it um mm. um it was the one that was like a it was rediscovered that was one of the rediscovered right the lost Franco films that popped back up. Yeah, it was the the hell that had two different uh versions of it. What um, a honeymoon? Yeah, you're you're correct. What a honeymoon, oh, yeah. Oh what a honeymoon. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they had the the weird robot. Yeah, picture. I'm going to self destruct. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that yeah. robot. That, that guy was, was great. Yeah, that's that's the Jess Franco robot voice. Gotta yeah, love that. I totally didn't catch that. That's that's really funny. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we have a, a common carry on in the beginning with the computer lab and glasses. Where I recognized her, um, and uh, it's funny. There's uh, what's happening? Oh yeah, so Christopher Mitchum. So he's in the last film that I watched, Angel of Death, and he's in this, and then he's in Faceless, I believe, and like. He has no emotion. He's like one of the worst actors like ever, I think. The strangest. So yeah. strange. Not a single 
change in his face throughout anything. It was like, I've never seen anybody not act so hard. Like, it was like he was trying to be a tough guy, was my thought. But then it was like, I mean, it would, there'd be like times when chicks were like throwing themselves at him and romancing him. And he would just kind of stare at them with that blank look. And it was like, you know, he'd be shooting people with the blankest look. Oh, yeah. Just no, (laughs) no, he, he seemed to have just no, like, I kept waiting for him to show some kind of reaction, emotion, interest, like, a single fuck give me one fuck there were no fucks this guy has this guy's face has no fucks it was incredible yeah i mean he's definitely somebody that's like lived off his dad's name like and basically got probably what he got because of the mitchum name but one thing i always laugh about when i see him in movies is he always tries to do the robert mitchum look where he'll kind of squint his eyes and kind of give that expression like he's like he's uh, robert mitchum where you get that robert mitchum feel and he'll okay. do that every once in a while. He kind of squints his eyes and kind of brings his eyes close together, kind of like I'm doing now, where he tries to do his Mitchum look. And yeah, I didn't talk like that relation or all that. That's that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I always see that. He always tries to give that Mitchum like, look. Why you know? are you an actor? You're not acting. It was really strange. That, yeah. How it all makes sense. Oh, the nepotism of Hollywood. And Stephen Thorer talked about Mitchum looks like he's even having trouble walking, like he doesn't know how to walk or like how he has to. So he's like always thinking about what he's supposed to do. And he's just totally outclassed with what he's doing, you know, it's beyond weird. Yeah, it's that was when you were asking me if I liked it, I had meant to say I'm still drinking my coffee. But yeah, I had meant to say that that was kind of what holds the whole movie back is like his it's kind of cool to watch in a weird like so bad it's good way yeah but it's also just like really distracting because you you're you, like i almost lost the i did lose the plot a few times i think kind yeah. of just zoning on him like what is this dude's deal <laughs> you know like what does he does he care and, well i mean i was kind of thinking like maybe maybe it was because he wasn't really you know a writer he was you know a spy and it was like maybe that was his whole spy look cover like that's why he was acting like that because he was trying to like have a poker face through the whole thing and i, I was i would think i would overthink like his weirdness and then I'd be like wait what's going on because <laughs> it was it was distracting how strange he was so yeah there was that factor for sure yeah, he's definitely plays the same one note in all the films that I've seen him in. I've seen him in maybe at least four or five films now, and he's just very oh. blank. And but I laugh that like um, Richard, Har- not Richard Harris, but Richard Harrison plays his boss, and he's like pretty funny in this. And I love that they put over Mitchum like you're a womanizer and you're this and you're that, oh, and you God, you know it's like great. come on, dude. He's like trying to pat his ego and let you know who he is and everything. It's pretty funny. I thought I love that because it was like I couldn't tell. A little bit, it kind of seemed like he was complimenting him. And right. It, yeah. You know? <laughs> like the, that one guy was like, you know, oh, you think you're a rebel. And he's like, I'll take that as a compliment. He's like, you would, you know. But yeah, yeah like he, he kind of was like proud of his, you know, being a piece of shit to all of his superiors. But yeah, it, the whole you're a womanizer. That was so like what guy is ever going to be mad at being called a woman i was oh, like I know, no, exactly. don't call me that yeah that was so <laughs> stupid any womanizers are like thanks <laughs> i get the ladies yeah and it's funny the one thing i thought was kind of funny we we're talking about how dumb mitchum is so there's a scene and i don't know if it was like an inside joke or what where in the beginning he's on the plane and he's going over to where he's gonna go down in cuba and he's having a hard time with the with the a hocus focus puzzle, the little two cartoons, and he's trying to like decide what's the difference between the two panels, and he's like oh, yeah. sitting there staring at it and having a hard time. And that made me laugh, <laughs> like, like, wow, this guy's really stupid. He's having a hard time looking at two cartoons, seeing the difference between the two pictures. Like, what's different, you know? Yeah, yeah, the character development there. <laughs> yeah, and then he we meets. Know how, uh, we know how clever he is. <laughs> exactly, showed how dumb he is, and then uh, he meets uh, Christopher Lee's daughter. Who, uh, well, it's something that I didn't catch until the very, until about the last 20 minutes. And then I was like, oh shit, duh. So what's funny is watching her, like this was like one of her first movies and she's not the best actress, but she has a really heavy accent. And toward the end, there's a line she delivers, like when they're getting ready to do the big bust at the end. And she almost sounds like uh, Tony Montana from Scarface. She's like, you don't know who I talk about. And she does the whole like thing. 
And then I realized her last name in the film is uh, Montana, along with Christopher Lee. Oh, wow. Maybe there yeah. was a there, and she was supposed to have that kind of attitude or something. Yeah. Yeah, That's- it's it's funny because... Um, she- yeah, I, I caught that, too. She, she, yeah, she had a really thick accent that made it... It was, it was hard to understand her a lot, and I don't know. I had a the option of subtitles on mine and I would sometimes turn them on to be like, what did she say? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause she's Linda Montana and, uh, Christopher Lee is uh, Luis Montana. And I was like, Oh shit. No wonder Scarface, the whole Cuban, the drugs, you know, a, a cocaine and all that stuff. I'm like, and this came out yeah, in 87. That- so it's like their little riff on Scarface. Cause at first I was thinking, Oh, this is like a bad Miami vice episode or something like when they're doing all the drug stuff. And that was like my first feel of it. And then with the whole Montana thing, I was like, Oh, okay. That's their little, swipe of Scarface, you know, the especially with the last name. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, that was Jess's inspo for sure. That's yeah. funny. Yeah, he 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 does love to do the anti drug theme in yeah. his movies. He's he's very just say no, isn't he? Yeah, and which is funny. Cause, cause, <laughs> yeah, because I was reading about that and like it's kind of hypocritical for him because he was doing a lot of the drug stuff early, but then like in the eighties, he kind of went into the anti-drug stuff. Cause before that he was showing like the drug runners from, uh, uh, I burn everywhere with a, a Brigitte Leahy where they're drug smugglers. And he does a lot of drug themes in his movies, but then he kind of, as he got older, I think he kind of went against it and tried to be more of a preaching to not do drugs and stuff. You know, well, the eighties so, were really anti-drug. That's true. That's true. That was, it was, the drug war was, you know, all anybody talked about and you wanted to be on the right side of it. And so that tracks. Yeah, no, it's, that's a good point. Um, so I didn't feel- just say no back then. I, I was like anti-drug until I got sent away to that place. And then I was like, all, Ooh, maybe I should try drugs. Right. But, yeah. But like, I, I was like brainwashed as fuck about that when i was young you know so it's it's interesting the 80s did a number on us so it's it's great that jess even like uh it got into that <laughs> i don't know after yeah it's no. funny that there's no like a, a nancy reagan pictures in this film at all you would think like you, there would be a poster of nancy reagan or something um so yeah this film had lots of stock footage there was like uh the helicopters uh in the beginning and all the Cuban Revolution footage of like the lots fake of Castro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the stock footage at the end was so awkward because it was so clearly stock footage and they were just like shooting their guns at nothing. But yeah, it was funny. I don't want to jump past. There was the cool um, scene with the, uh, the, when she goes to the, the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, talk about that. Definitely. Get yeah. To that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was one of my favorites. Yeah. No, that was interesting. Just love a mental hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of soft footage of helicopters in the beginning, and you can see the frame rates a little different where you see the the uh, army helicopters going by. And then there's stock footage of the plane landing from the airport and of Cuba and that area and stuff. Um, and then I laughed that he checks into the hotel, and it seems like every Franco film has some hotel in it, like a, a hotel lobby or something. That should also be on my checklist, too, of like – is there a hotel in this movie? It seems like uh, every Franco film has a fucking hotel in it. Lots know? of hotels and movies, but yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 um, there were several shots that were gorgeous as far as like the, the rooms and the hotel, like the, the, the different sets of where people lived and all that were all really gorgeous. So there was, there was that for sure. Yeah, lots of nice that design. So there's a funny part where, um, he he goes into his room, he checks in, and he's held captive by Brigitte Leahy and their two accomplices, and they pull a gun on him. They do it a couple times during the movie, and they stick the sticker on his forehead that has an address where he's supposed to check in at. And then after that, he has to count to 10, and when he comes out to look in the mirror to see the thing on his forehead, the top left of the screen, you see a boom mic hanging down above his head. So I thought that was pretty funny. That was the one blooper I caught. Nice. Yeah. 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 When he, well, he had to count to 15, wasn't it? And it was like when he'd get to like 11, 12, 13, 14, he was just yeah, like, yeah, kinda, he'd go, he'd go, he'd like, he was supposed to count, you know, slowly and he'd start slow, but then he'd just wrap it up. It's kind of cute. And then each time he'd f- come out of the room, he'd like stumble and fall like two or three times. Like, oh, and he's like, act like he was hurt or something. It was pretty stupid. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Because yeah. he's bumbling. Yeah. So, oh, um, but still not changing his face. 
<laughs> exactly. So in my nose, I have, of course, a Chris Release fake mustache, which he talked about. And then uh, Mitchum's reaction, his eyebrows squinting where he act, tries to act like his dad. Um, and then we have uh, the reflection. Oh, yeah. So, of course, there's always mirror shots in this film, uh, in Franco's films. And in this, there's a lot of um, reflections on glasses of things, of the people eating and dining and, and going to restaurants and all that stuff. So that, that carried that on. Um what I was laughing at later on when the daughter meets her dad and all this stuff and she's laying in her, in her bed on her, these are like two single beds pushed together and she has like these little stuffed animals on her bed and she's looking through this, uh, a centerfold of, of a men book, like a, a playgirl or something type magazine, which yeah. I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. I and, love she, me some playgirl. and she talks on a, a banana phone, which I thought was pretty funny too. Yeah, loved that. Loved to see the '80s phones. Yeah, no, that was funny. Um, and then one thing about this film that I made a note of: there's no nudity, and it's a Jess Franco film, which was pretty shocking. Yeah, I think that's why this wasn't one of my favorite Jess films, for sure. It's like, yeah. I mean, well, there is the scene where Bridget's in that bikini, which is yeah. Like- that's the highlight for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, okay, here we go. Here we go. And then, yeah, because the, the... Her body, dude. Oh, how I know. She's rocking. Always. Wow. It's like you just stare. Like, how isn't that like... Because, like, I, I learned recently that... Did you know that if Barbie was a real person, she would snap in half? No, I didn't know dimensions? that. Yeah. But, like, you look at Bridget's body and it's like, how is that? Like, wow. You know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. She's so tiny. But like voluptuous. Oh yeah, she's she's yeah, and I think she's natural too. I don't think she's like had implants in this. Oh event, yeah, so no, she's, she she she's, looks super natural. Yeah, like her the muscles in her arms. She's just like so fit. She's fit as fuck, but she's like womanly as fuck, oh, yeah, which is yeah. so nice because you know I mean usually like when chicks kind of buff up and get some muscle, then they look a little less like you know kind of curvy and feminine the, right. and like but she she rocks like it it's all just perfect it's, it's like this like little dynamo body she seemed like she, I, I just kept thinking like she should have been like the basis for barbie or whatever yeah no i remember like the first time i saw her years ago i was just fucking stunned by her and I, she's still one of my favorite gals and just she's just so amazing just like she looks she literally looks like she's like cut out of stone like her jaw and her body and just her all of her features and her boobs and she's just really really beautiful yeah if only she hadn't fallen victim to the you know uh the 80s tweezing the shit out of your eyebrow uh, yeah that happened. That's, that's picking straws only though. my exactly. only like yeah. <laughs> 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 and really if, if that's the whole extent of it i'd say that's pretty damn good you know um oh yeah Okay, so let's get to the hospital scene that you were talking about. Um, Antonio Mayans is in the film in a small role as the doctor of this like drug clinic, uh, mental hospital. He talks about Talk all the people that, that yeah. went there from overdoses and stuff. Uh, go ahead and uh, talk about that if you want. Oh, just how uh, the I mean, we all love a mental hospital. Nobody doesn't love a mental hospital scene in a movie. And this one Duff lives up. It's like it starts out outside where they see, you know, guys just freaking out and going nuts. And then they get inside and there's this really great. It kind of remind me of that Peter Bark thing where he's, um, you know, in, in burial ground where like he he's like got his eyes closed, but he opens them. He looks all scary. There yeah. was like a shot of this one. I couldn't, it was very androgynous. Person. I know. I was going to say, I wasn't sure if that was a man or a woman. I thought it was yeah. a woman, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it was a woman, but yeah, it could, it could have gone either way, but like it was just this strange looking Peter Barkish kind of creature, like, kind of shaking back and forth in bed and just looking weird. I just kept getting those vibes from the burial ground shot. Like it was so like, wow, wow, weird. And yeah. And then um, it's just so random and so weird that the woman who's there to, to look at this, to see all these people who are they're in the mental hospital because of drugs, which is hilarious. Right. Um, as if they've all gone psychotic from using drugs. Um and uh and then like they they show this dead body you know going past and the the woman like you know the, our, our main woman in the in the film checks it out and she she's like oh it's my best friend which is like 
like it just happens to be of all the humans in the world your best friend she's like yeah like i lived with her and she was my best friend for years and my childhood friend and all this and she's dead and she just like keeps like then they just like take the body and like roll the gurney down the 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 hallway and she's just like staring after it like it was my best friend oh like staring after it it was like what the fuck it was so so gratuitously like you know the 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 whole drug war um you know hype and and fear and fear monger it was it was just so ridiculous and so over the like it just didn't yeah i it, that had me crack it up it was like, yeah <laughs> it was funny because like the coincidence of the timing of she just happens to be there and her friend just happens to be wheeled by and are dead right and, yeah and it's her best her, friend her best who's her one visit to the hospital just happens to be sorry yeah i just exactly that yeah like what are the chances of that it's absurd and it's her best friend who we never hear about or know about and all of a sudden she's yeah. introduced as oh this is my best friend and she's dead it's like okay yeah. well you know but it's yeah. funny because then there's that scene and then a few minutes later because that character is really odd so they have that going on where she sees her best friend and all that stuff is dead and then a few minutes later she tells mitchum well, I think I love you, even though I've only known you for a few days now. And it's just like, wow, you know, she's just really quick with her decision making, I guess, you know. Eh, most people actually fall in love within the first few days of meeting someone. Well, yeah, but I mean, for a character, it's funny because it's just like all these well, random is, things. When you, you know? really like somebody you don't know anything about, yeah. falling in love is. People are always like, oh, my God, she said or he said, I love you too soon. It's like, ah, eh. one in 10 people who are married um, claim to have fallen in love at first sight, according to Helen Fisher, anthropologist. I got you. People should know that because people are always like, "Oh, he's coming on too strong" or whatever. It's like, no, when you know, you know. One in ten; those are good odds. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, I mean the 10%. whole. That's that's saying love at first sight. Most right. people though who get married knew within the first week. Within the right, first no, week, I, I can like, understand that. Like ninety percent of people who got married within the first week of knowing that person, they knew that that was the person for them. So like, that's the statistic. Like that's what Helen Fisher figured that out. You should read Helen Fisher books. Cause it, I, I used to hear that all the time from people saying that you shouldn't, you know, you have to wait like so many months until you can say, I love you have to wait till you're sure. Wait till you know the person. It's not how love works. Love is very instinctual and love is very quick. So I, when she said that, I was like, yes, <laughs> like, I, I, cause I believe that shit. I mean, I my ex husband we we met and fell in love the day we met so that was it, it was yeah like, and also too is there love or lust right in the beginning too you got to dis- distinguish between the difference of that as uh, well right in the beginning you know because people lust as Raymond Carver once said we must be very careful when we talk about what what love is and what love isn't you know yeah nobody knows how to define love so and lust is part of it but yeah it's something magical it's the only magic left of the world. Well, speaking of magic, uh, it's a good segue here. So I thought Christopher <laughs> Lee in the white suit looked like an evil Mr. Rourke from uh, Fantasy totally. Island. Totally. <laughs> 100%. Clock that, too. Yes. Love that. Yeah. Welcome to Fantasy Island. And it's funny, Mr. Rourke, from what I've read of the things, he's supposed to be the devil in Fantasy Island. And that's why he has all these powers of he could make things happen and change. And, and you know, if he can make people appear and disappear and, and do all these things. That's totally supernatural. Is That was the theory that he was the devil and Hervé Villachez was like his little assistant, of, like the, the devil's assistant. I never knew that. But, yeah, there was like a... Be careful of what you wished for element there. But I mean, usually people all fell in love and were happier after Fantasy Island. I, I mean, that was a sweet show. That wasn't a horror show as far as I remember it when I was a kid. I watched Yeah, but movie. it's very supernatural in, in things. He has the powers to make things happen and it's not a natural thing. And he has I, these, uh, I never knew it was, it was him. Yeah, there's always that little... I'll have to thing. rewatch some Fantasy Island. It's been a long time. All I ever think about is, you know... What kind of M&M's does Tattoo eat? Tattoo, yeah. Um, you know, come on, answer the question. What kind of M&M's does Tattoo eat? What kind of M&M's does Tattoo eat? Can't get... The plane, boss, boss, the plane. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> well, that's like... He did that. He did that commercial for uh, I think it was like Dunkin' Donuts or something, <laughs> where he went to the uh, donut shop and they and he talked about the donuts. Hey, what kind of donuts you want? De plain, de plain. That was a real yeah, commercial. Was you know. I saw donut. that. 
and and speaking of love as well, did you notice uh, Christopher Mitchum's kissing style? Um, he had his mouth like way open when he was like kissing the women. He's all like almost like a fish with his. It was pretty funny. I thought. Yeah, yeah, really sexy. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his awkward level was like a ten the whole time. Just ten. Yeah, super awkward. Not should not be on film, except for like. He should be on film because he makes you laugh at how ridiculous he is. But yeah, but yeah, not well, if not if you want to make it like a proper movie, I guess. I don't plus, know. he kisses Brigitte. He kisses the other blonde woman and Christopher Lee's daughter. So he kisses three gals in the film too. So I thought that was pretty. Oh, I didn't, didn't. I wasn't counting. That's... Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was like, what <laughs> motherfucker? He <laughs> was lucky guy at this exactly. weird ass fish face. And I wrote my notes. The highlight of the film was me, which we talked about earlier, was um, uh, Brigitte Leahy in the bikini when he just goes into her place and you see her in the bikini for no reason. Like, why is she wearing the bikini? I know it's hot and stuff, but yeah. it's just like, you know, they just and want to put her in the bikini. telling her all this heavy stuff and they're going through this whole thing, but she just happens to be in like a bikini that makes you not hear like anything he's saying. I literally like, I tried to pay attention. I think I even rewound that trying to pay, but I just mostly stare at her body. Like Jesus Christ. Like it's just that, that bikini was so bomb too. I was like, damn. Plus she's in front of this cool window that has like colored glass. So it's like really, a Oh yeah. Shot. That glass is really so nice. pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was like tape or that that stuff that you put on your windows so people can't see in, but it was like on the shower glass. Yeah, it was yeah. like a smoke glass type deal. Yeah, yeah it was, it was like really, a really fake cool. stained glass look, but it was it was pretty. It was yeah. very Jess Franco. No, and that's then probably the best shot in the film. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, to have her next to that, and then you just yeah, I couldn't, I didn't, I lost the plot there because I was just like totally with my male gaze, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then uh, one thing too, I was laughing at um, that after they do the the big raid at the end, and they're and they're and he's teams up with uh, Brigitte and her crew of soldiers. After she dies, he like kisses her for some reason after she's dead. You know, <laughs> yeah, you get one last one in one. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, more. well, I'm gonna kiss her before she goes. Hey, you know, it's like I think just as an actor, he's like, can I kiss her? But you know, he's like just trying to find a reason for for Mitchum to kiss her. You know, <laughs> I mean. If they're, you know, if the body's still warm, it's, That's true. it's really easy, you know. <laughs> and then uh, another thing I thought was really funny was the scene where uh, Mitchum goes back to the hotel and he reads the note left for him by his boss, Richard Harrison, and he goes to his room and he's in the shower and he gets out of the shower and, and he's like posing in front of the mirror, like admiring himself in the mirror with his hairy chest and combing his hair. And he's all like Mr. Macho. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, hot <laughs> stuff. Yeah, he he was he was pretty funny in this, and then uh, and then also to the uh, slow motion killings when Christopher Lee got shot, and then the other guy whose wife got killed, he like shoots, and it's all like slow motion, kind of Sam Peckinpah style shootout, and it's all they're dying in slow motion. Well, that was kind of interesting. <laughs> Sam Peckinpah, I don't know if I would go there, but I mean. <laughs> The level of filmmaking there to well yeah I mean but yeah the the slow motion dying I mean that was Peckinpah's thing of you know people start shooting they die in the slow motion all that you know I always associate that with him but yeah it definitely wasn't his style his you know yeah expertise yeah yeah that that um I didn't expect Christopher Lee to get like uh, you know I mean well he does like say goodbye to his daughter all. Yeah. kind of meaningfully which is a little foreboding but at the same time i it was still surprising when he goes off and gets but i mean i guess that was how things had to go since he was the big bad drug lord yeah but no there's definitely a lot of miami vice scenes like i thought like when those people go into that cabin and it's blown up that felt like a miami vice scene and there's a few things that were that kinda... was probably what more inspired the white pants suit and all that miami yeah. vice than fantasy island but i guess both could be plausible during the 80s yeah i mean i don't know if it was inspired by fantasy Island. i was just saying seeing christopher lee like that with his hair and yeah, just all in white he reminded me of, of him like oh that looks like ricardo montalban you know for sure but um well let, let's go ahead and knock out the franco list real quick because it's really not a lot in here um number one body of water yes uh, number two sailboats and number three boats at first you only see those on the wall of christopher lee's house he has all these pictures of boats all around his cat of his place yeah. 
And then later on, you see boats in um, Brigitte Leahy's office where they go in, and she has that boat shop that she works upstairs in, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, number four, palm trees. Yeah, plenty of palm trees in this film. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. Yeah, there's a bunch of bird sound effects I, I caught through the film. Uh, number six, chained up person. No, nobody's chained up in this. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. Well, no nudity, so no stripping. Uh, number eight, club scenes, dancing in a bar. No. Nine, jazz music. You know, the music's different in this. It's not Daniel White in that, but there is a couple of little jazzy tunes, but there's a lot of also kind of like sambas and, and some cool um, electronic kind of drone noises. There is a cool dance scene where she gets him to, like she gets her dad to dance, Christopher Lee and Linda dance together. I liked that her name was Linda too. Yeah, I caught that That's too. very, very Franco. Totally. Uh, Linda. But um, totally. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, the harp player in that was great. Yeah, which that goes on to my uh, number 28, um, acoustic guitar player. Yeah, there's acoustic guitar lady and the guy playing the harp and the guy playing the bongos. So that, that's that's on the list later. Um, uh, where are we at? Number 10, excessive zooms and out of focus shots, 11. I'd say no. I didn't really catch. Like he do a little bit of zoom, but wasn't like all the way in, all the way out. He wasn't doing that crazy on this. Uh, number 12, mirror shots. Yeah, I caught quite a few. A lot of the reflections in Christopher Lee's house when they're having the dinner, you see them reflected on the glass. And where Mitchum meets that blonde lady and her husband, they go to that dinner place and you see the glass and they show the reflection quite a bit and stuff. Um, number 13, mind control theme. I don't know. Maybe I'd say no, but you could do no. the drug control. By, but yeah, yeah. Uh, number 14, magic tongue scenes. Well, no Lena, no magic tongue. Yeah, boo-hoo. I know. Even though I think if, if Lena was in the film, she'd probably play Christopher Lee's daughter, I think. If if she yeah. was in the film, that would probably be her part. Yeah, she uh, would have been better for it. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, 15, red light, no. 16, sheepskin rug, no. Masturbation with the letter C item, no. No masturbation in this film. Although C could have been cocaine. They could have masturbated with cocaine. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, that would have been hot. <laughs> yeah. Then I would have liked this movie a lot more. They masturbated with a cocaine spoon, maybe. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, That's so, not like doing that. <laughs> uh, 17, mad scientist and servant. No, unless you count like Christopher Lee as like the, he's more the drug drug smuggler guy. Uh, 18, fish tank shots. No. 19, talking parrot. No, there's not a talking parrot, but there's a talking computer. So, but... <laughs> Uh, number 20, end credits, yes or no? Yes, this is the end at the end. Uh, 21, handwritten notes. The only thing I caught was the little handwritten sticker on the side and just the little notes in his room, but that's not really counting, I don't think. Uh, 22, spiral staircase shot, no. 23, inept cops, no. There's a lot of crooked cops, but no inept cops. Maybe it's the same thing. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, the, the CIA guys all kind of just look like they were going through like a midlife crisis. <laughs> well, you know, that's being a nap, but yeah, that's more of a mental uh, <laughs> inadequacy. Well, I guess that's it, yeah. Uh, number tw- well, I, I, I can't say nothing about that. Uh, 24, uh, belly chains, uh, no. 25, kinks, no, no sex, no kinks. No sexy, no sexy times. Ooh. Ooh. 26, great headboards, <laughs> no. There's some headboards in Mitchum's hotel and that lady's, uh, Linda's bedroom, but nothing outstanding. Uh, 27, fear or desire? I'd say desire. Fear. Fear. I mean, what, what? What's the fear? Well, you know, that like her, her, she's the, for Linda, you know, like she's, she sees her dead best friend and then she realizes her dad's a drug Lord. And like, then there's shooting and, and murder and people dying. And I don't know. I mean, there's no sexy time. There's no desire. No, but you mean desire is he who has the coca has the power, and that's the desire to have the money, the richness. Oh, yeah. I guess I never think about money. I don't know. Yeah, but desire isn't always sexual. It's desire for, you know, that, that lust, that, you know, the lust of money, you know. That, that's what I would guess. For me, desire is always sexual, but I'm a, gotcha. I'm a creep. So, yeah. Well, I, we'll, we'll this will be one of the ones we disagree on that. There you go. We'll push on that. Uh, 28, acoustic guitar player. Yeah, we mentioned there's the gu- guitar player at Christopher Lee's dinner party outside the three-piece outfit. Uh, 29, reading a book scene. No. And number 30, a pee scene. No, the last film had a mighty, mighty pee scene, but this film didn't have any peeing in it. You so. make me think of that. <laughs> well, you have to. It's part of your memory. It's something that can't go right. away. 
Even There's a lot like, more I can say, but I won't. The, even like when you posted the fallow crest thing, you like tag me and you're like, it's up, relive the the, the trauma. <laughs> <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving, you know, just like a herpes or AIDS or something. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, some things can't be forgotten. That's 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 a rule I try to live by, you know. Some things uh, you have to carry with you. Yeah. You know? So yeah. There is no such thing as closure. Exactly. Well, getting close to the time of closure for this part of it. Yeah, uh, true, true. So in closure, what would so you kind of said this isn't a Franco film you'd recommend? I mean, to me, it's like an '80s kind of a time waster. On Letterbox, I gave it like one and a half stars out of five. I mean, I didn't hate it, but it wasn't anything I, I liked. You know, it's a time capsule. Yeah. yeah. Christopher Lee's good. Brigitte Leahy's good. She's not in it that much. But... Worth watching for those two, for sure. I mean, yeah. just because, you know, when do you not want to see either of them? Yeah. They're never going to make anything bad. That's true. But, that's yeah. true. And, and actually, like we said before, Christopher Lee's actually really good in this. And you could tell he, like, acts above everybody else. He's just, like, so good in this. If you watch him, how he just sees the way he speaks and walks and acts and he acts with his eyes. And, and, he's, and he is really strong in this. I mean, I won't say that. So For sure. Yeah. Yeah, he's great. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this part, and then after our meeting runs out, we'll talk a little bit. So, Cool beans. All right. Buenas noches. <laughs> Buenas noches. Buenas noches.